Thank you for joining me today in Artemis Speaks. I'm Jerry Rogers here at Final Track Studios with Skip Brown, my co-producer, and we are very excited about our guest today, uh, Jane Getty. Jane is a writer, uh, teacher, mother of three. She uh, currently resides in Virginia, and she has worked with Artemis Journal in the past as a associate editor. And we have also published her poetry for many years. We're thrilled to have her here today. Thank you, Jane, for joining us. Happy to be here. We um, really have enjoyed your poetry, but before we get into that, you just recently published your book, A River Road Memoir, about growing up in a segregated small town in Louisiana and how that profoundly affected you and your political views and, and how you grew up with uh, very liberal parents. Your father was a priest who dropped out and married your mother. She was a newspaper writer, and they had four children, and here you are. Uh, so we'll get into that. What, what prompted you to write this book? What prompted me to write the book. Yes. Um, I began um, when my daughters were uh, young children because my parents uh, died. My eldest daughter was a year old and uh, my other two children had not been born. And so in the space of 10 months, I lost my mother, my father and my Louisiana home, a home to go home to. <laughs> Um, and it was such an enormous part of my life. Um, and the only way that I could share it with my children, um, and later my grandchildren, which I didn't even dream of at that time, is, um, is to keep it alive through story. And so that's how I began writing these, just I, I would think of an incident or a person in my uh, my town, and and then I would write um, my memories of that. And the way they would come out would be in terms of story, because I think I've always been a storyteller, and I love it. And um, that's just how they emerged. And then over time. Uh, things change because I learned so much more. Um, as you have too, Jerry, I believe about your family since you've been an adult. But in my case, I also learned some things that my own parents did not know about their past. And so it became 
uh, accidentally a journey of historical discovery and digging through things and saying, oh my God, then that thing we heard, that whole myth, oh, it was a lie. <laughs> and the real story to me was far more interesting. So I think I'm trying to give a, a, a glimpse into why this became this 30-year journey, because I kept learning new things. And part of that is the availability of information now uh, through technology. And it's so much easier to find out. Um, so I, I just, the more I learned, the more questions I had. And also, we, a life is never really finished because we're constantly returning to it in our memory. And we're never the same person when we reflect back on something that happened 30 years ago. Well, I'm a different person than the woman who thought about it 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And that's just the nature of, of the brain and our own uh, sort of seasoning as human beings. Well, I think this is wonderful because, you know, I, I reflect on my family and I think both my parents are deceased and I thought, why didn't I talk to them and ask them certain questions about, you know, my father was a pilot in World War II and my mother was starlet in Hollywood and I would have loved to have had that dialogue. And I think for the legacy of the family, it's so rich for your children to know these stories. And you've done it. You wrote this book. This is just amazing. How did growing up uh, in River Road uh, on the Mississippi, right, uh, how did that affect you growing up in southern Louisiana? I think it was a... a we were on the cusp of historical change in the nation. Um, I grew up in the 1950s and 60s, and that created, that was a, a pivotal time in American history. It was ushered in a new chapter in our long journey towards justice. So this was a segregated southern Louisiana town, and I know you took family trips up north, and you saw how things were in a different way, and you ended up going to college in uh, Wisconsin, right? So yes. how, did, how did that help you become who you are today? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, that's a, a difficult question to answer. I think uh, I've had a couple of people say to me, oh, now I know how you got to be you. <laughs> well, it's probably easier for other people who know me now um, and who've read the book to say, oh, I see the, the little pebbles that led to where, who you are now. But I certainly wasn't conscious of them. Um, I know that growing up, in my town, um, what I really sought, Jerry, what, what I was hungry for was um, discussion 
Um, my own parents were such a, a model. Neither of them ever kind of settled into easy answers. And they constantly, there was this push and pull. And I found it, it predisposed me to want to be in a place where other people were questioning and having those kinds of uh, debates. Um, I just, I don't know, I felt boxed in uh, living in a small town where everybody pretty much thought the same. Um, I was hungry for something just more rich. And you found it when you went up to college, right? You ended up at University of Wisconsin. Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was a very good place for me because I learned, um, I guess it's kind of like a tennis player. If you don't play with tennis players who are better than you are, you never. And I found it exciting to have the chance to be um, around other people who had come from other places and had uh, different experiences than my own. And to engage in this uh, give and take discussions where, you know, we'd sit up late at night. Um, and this was not kind of a, a beer drinking rah-rah uh, place to be at that time. Um, it, it was probably more drinking your coffee, smoking cigarettes in a coffee house or um, sometimes people smoking pot, but, um, it wasn't get drunk and party. Well, that's, but we danced a lot. We danced a lot. What, what year are we talking? We are talking, I went to Madison in, uh, I started in Madison the fall of 66. There we go. And the Beatles had hit. And there was a revolution on many levels at that time. I mean, the 60s were opening up big time. And you were in a good spot. University of Wisconsin was considered uh, the Berkeley of the Midwest. So 1966, what an exciting time for all of us. And you had moved north, and you were experiencing a whole new culture from southern Louisiana. Uh, I think what struck me about that move for you in the book was just an, an ultimate, <laughs> let's spread my wings and fly and see where I go. And you, you had a good experience in college, right? The best, because it was uh, probably one of the most exciting campuses. And um, I was there at one of the most exciting times in the history of the university, but also uh, in the history of our country. And I didn't know the things that would happen after I got there, but it was, um, I knew, I felt motivated to be someplace where um, students, there would be students who felt like I did about civil rights and about the war in Vietnam. I had not expected that Madison would become ground zero 
of university um, anti-war scene. That I couldn't have predicted, nobody could have. So that was just accidental that um, I happened to be there at that time. But what drew me was just the idea that uh, a woman, a young woman, you know, was not expected to be this, you know, flower of Southern womanhood, but to roll up her sleeves and lean over the table and be an equal voice at the table with the boys. And uh, that was something that really appealed to me. Well, I think, you know, for younger people who didn't live during the 60s, uh, they, they have a hard time understanding the complete revolution of, you know, sex identity and, and liberation and music. And, you know, it, it was an enlightenment uh, period, uh, music and the arts. And you were in a great place. Well, moving on beyond your book, you, you have written in many genres and you do poetry. I know we have published your work uh, in Artemis um, for many years. And um, what do you prefer and why do you do whatever you do when you write? I can't say which I prefer. Probably creative nonfiction is um, more natural to me, but I think for me personally, uh, some things can only be uh, expressed in the language of poetry. Um, so for instance, the, the poem that you uh, at Artemis have accepted for the upcoming journal, Rachel Weeping. This poem really came out of a conversation that I was having um, via internet with uh, an old classmate, an old uh, friend from University of Wisconsin. And uh, I kind of reached the point where I couldn't exactly say what I meant any other way. So this poem, Rachel Weeping, I found was a way to express the real thing I was trying to get at in my conversation and also in my mind. Um, so for me, writing has always been a way to uh, explore my own thoughts and um, internal grappling with complex things, uh, feelings or experiences. And sometimes it comes out as poetry and sometimes it comes out as, a, as a, an essay. And uh, sometimes it comes out as a story. And I, I don't, it's not premeditated. It, the idea chooses its own language, if that makes any sense. Yes, and I think that's what poetry does, is it... Uh you know, in, enlarges our vocabulary and gives us a richer uh, tone to whatever we're trying to say. That's why I love poetry. Well, what, um, I'd like you to read the poem, but before you read it, can you just say what it was that motivated you to write that poem? Artemis is what inspired me to write Honeycomb, and it was whatever your theme was that year. And, uh, and it just led to these reflections. 
and I think it was something about nature, the natural environment. Um, so that was the beginning. And, and then it got, of course, more complicated. Um, but would you like me to read it? Yes, very much so. Thank you. Honeycomb. Cigarette burns on windowsills. Calcified bodies of bees. Children's fingerprints on glass panes. Names smeared across autumn-steamed windows. Anne, Jane, Mary Kay, Gretchen. Signatures as varied as our hair. Brown, blonde, curly, straight, short, long. Corn cobs in the bedroom walls where fat rats stashed food for winter. And the temperatures dropped. They scratched and nibbled all through the night. An inch of wall between us, so close they could hear us breathe. We snuggled under blankets, listening on windy nights. Pecans pelted the sides of the house, thuds and plunks on the roof. Gas heaters hissed and purred. The bones of our old house creaked and groaned as we settled in for winter. Every spring the bees returned, hotly humming inside the dining room wall. After school, a sprinkling through the floor where some squeezed in. Barefoot and hungry, I hopscotched my way to the kitchen, conjuring biscuits and honey. I imagine honeycombs inside those walls today, dark gold and time thickened, hard as amber these decades later. Are our long ago words trapped inside too? Can voices stick to honey? Mother, reading the listeners, is anybody there, asked the traveler, knocking on the moonlit door. Seasons came and went on the river road, and one season we did not return. Did we leave part of ourselves? Where do words go, and the harmony or dissonance with which they are spoken? Somewhere inside those walls, surely the hum and tick of our lives reverberates still beside quiet honeycomb, decayed corn cob. Are we still there, I wonder? Traveler and listener both, as moonlight shines on the closed door of our old River Road house. Beautiful. Thank you, Jane. And thank you today for joining us and uh, sharing some of your insights and being who you are. You're, you're such a gift to our community and to the writing community. And uh, if anybody wants to learn more about you or they want to purchase your book, A River Road Memoir, you can uh, go to any bookstore, right, and uh, request this. Sure. It's uh, available on Amazon, but I would encourage people uh, to support their local bookstores and uh, try to get it from uh, a local bookstore. But um, it is available on Amazon as well. Well, thank you. 
Thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you to my audience. Thanks to Skip Brown for making this happen here at Final Track Studios. Until next time, uh, read a poem, pick a flower, create some beautiful images in your life. You'll feel enriched. You've been listening to Artemis Speaks. Artemis is a charitable organization now 43 years old and has evolved to be all-inclusive, a journal with essays, poetry, and art. 10% of the journal's sales are donated to a women's shelter in southwest Virginia. If you're interested in learning more, artemisjournal.org. You can mail us directly P.O. Box 505, Floyd, Virginia, 24091. The closing music and the opening music you're listening to is Jordan Harmon. And the song is Just Slow Down, a very appropriate comment for the times that we're in. If you want to read, you have to slow down. Artemis Speaks, the podcast, is recorded twice monthly at Final Track Studios in Roanoke, Virginia. All rights reserved, and is co-produced by Jerry Rogers and Skip Brown. You love so much. Can anybody tell me? So cool. We got everybody walking around, trying to do the same thing that everybody else they do. And you know, oh yes, you know, you gotta be yourself. Yourself is all you got and all you got is what you need Look in the mirror, see it clearer The answer's staring at you And so just slow down in life Because you can't buy back your time And you know you can't lose time
Just slow down if you've got to, baby. Just slow down. 